0: When I talk to my mom, for context, she's over 80, gratefully as sharp as ever, and well-connected to current events. I might even say more connected than as healthy. We often talk about what's happening in the world. The other day, she said, in a kidding, sort of sarcastic way, things aren't looking so great. And after we covered some ground on current events, she said something that stuck with me. When you hear about the AI, she said, it's never very positive. It wasn't what she said so much as how she said it. She said, the AI. The definite article, the, was caught in the spiderweb of my curiosity. Mind you, this is consistent, somewhat colloquial for her. She grew up at a time in a place where that definite article is commonly added. The butcher, the tailor, very specific ways she would refer to the places we might need to run to in the course of the afternoon. The pharmacist has become the CBS. She'll call and ask, Can you stop at the CBS, but never just CBS? What's my point? No, right. The AI. Artificial intelligence to her is a thing, which makes sense. The output of AI could be talked about as the AI. She's never used AI or thought much about it beyond what's relayed to her over the news, and so I'm not sure why she would see it any other way like as a process, for example. If she was hearing it as a process or a discipline like medicine, I think it would open her perspective about the spectrum of possibility. That's the point of some recent episodes I've been recording, opening up ideas about the possibility. To my mom, after this episode, let me know what you think about dropping the definite article. To everyone else, who thinks it's just more fun to think of A.I. more like a sentient body acting for good or evil. That's fair. There's something I like about the A.I. too. And maybe one day, my kids will stop there on an errand run. Pick up something at the A.I. I wonder what it would be. This episode is about the early possibilities of training A.I. models to do important things like supporting teen mental health. If you're a parent, like the two moms I spoke with recently in Colorado working extremely hard to help their teens cope with teen suicides in their community, this episode won't answer the question of how to approach today's problem. I wish I could give you those answers. It will, however, give a sense of how one team is deploying AI differently than you've likely heard about in the nightly news. What if we trained a model that could be supportive in a healthy digital ecosystem for teen mental health? It wouldn't replace trained professionals in any way. But what if parents could be more trusting that a platform had their child's mental health in mind? What if you train the model to block out toxicity that we fear as parents of young people on the Internet? Blue Fever is a high-trust community diary where authentic self-expression unlocks peer support and resources for well-being. They're a new type of social well-being platform for young people that provides a bridge between their mental health and wellness needs and the resources that can best support them. Meet my guests.
1: Hi, my name is Greta McEnany, and I'm a VC-backed entrepreneur uh, and empath. Uh, I started uh, off my career in Hollywood, and uh, now I spend my time at the intersection of media, tech, and well-being. And I think the that mental health is the greatest challenge of our generation, and the most promising space to build um, is that intersection of tech and well-being. And I'm really excited to be here.
2: Hi, I'm Christine Gloria. I like to think of myself as a a recovering academic, hesitant engineer, and a social impact entrepreneur. I've spent my life really uh, stewarding technology for good. Uh, you know, I've sat at the intersection of exploring the human condition and technology with a really specific interest in youth and mental health and well being. Um, I recently served as the head of data with Blue Fever and I've worked at the Aspen Institute leading their artificial intelligence and well-being portfolio for several years. And now I'm just working with the industry and the ecosystem and seeing where we can move it to the next level and I'm very excited to have this conversation with both of you.
0: Greta and Christine are leaders in this space who give me a lot of hope for what's possible in the field of AI. I found myself wondering when we talked about what other challenges I would focus on if I was building a guardian angels-like arsenal of models trained to carry out the human ideals of happiness and safety. If this show has found its way into your regular feed and you value the conversations it brings to you, I hope you'll take the few minutes required to offer a five-star review and ensure that pod platforms recommend it to others looking for a community like ours. Enjoy the show. This is no such thing a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. I'm thrilled to have you both here. Uh, Christine, I want to start with you. You've been part of a dialogue about data with purpose, including AI for a good part of your work. And I was hoping you'd say a little bit from your perspective about the moment we're in in the U.S., especially right now. What has being part of a company like Blue Fever meant to you?
2: I think that's a great question, Mark. I appreciate you bringing it to the beginning. One thing that I will say writ large of how the conversation and the tenor of kind of the space of technology and the human condition feels different than it did when I first started in this space is there is a public consciousness and illiteracy that is a lot more prevalent. Maybe not sophisticated, but it is certainly something that, as par- as you know, our generations have gotten older and are having kids, or kids are becoming far more uh, uh, versed in the technology themselves. It's not so much the I don't understand the tech. Let's park that a little bit because there's there are still some people who do that, but I do think there is a level of understanding that we're finally getting to a public level mm-hmm. that is useful in the conversation in many ways. I also think the driver of that is we all experienced a collective trauma during COVID. Mm-hmm. And we were forced to understand how do we continue to connect with one another when we physically cannot be in spaces with one another. And that brought us to very different levels of our relationship with technology, what we think it's useful for, what we don't think it's useful for. Simultaneously, this conversation about what technology can and cannot do, how does it not serve us, what is it good for, is moving into a public health discussion that it never really was a part of at the beginning. When you're talking about, particularly in the policy realm, technology, it was always around privacy, copyright, things that don't, necessarily for general purpose, general public, I was like, okay, whatever, right? Like privacy, nothing didn't, it never really stuck. Now we're talking about it very fervently around mental health, and what it's doing to the young people to us being addicted, all of this type of framing is the moment now. And we're we're also in a, a precarious place where that framing is, unfortunately, fear mongering and really negative. Mm. And I think what's brings me to blue fever and the places that I and solutions that I've you know come across is it's not all that, mm. right. In fact, there are some really great solutions that just aren't as big as a meta or or a TikTok right right now. Mm right? Right now, we are all growing from 2020. And I think we're seeing a lot of um, uh, need to recalibrate this conversation, because it can't just be, there's no hope Mm. for us to have a healthy relationship, period. There's no hope for us to have a healthy relationship with technology, period. Like that, imagine receiving that as the message, especially as a young person that isn't, that's not helpful. Yeah. And so I really do think we're at a really interesting spot in the US where we've lifted the conversation out of the technical, out of the policy and given it a public health lens. And it we're in a spot where we could go really wrong if we continue to say it's continuously bad for you, yeah. right? I think there's, there's, there's needs to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more holistic understanding of this space. Um, and, and, you know, we'll get into blue fever a bit more, but I think it, it's not just the technology also something we've learned quite, quite, um, more comprehensively as a field, as parents, is it's not just the technology, it's not just the AI, it's not just the algorithms. It's, the holistic, the regulatory space of it, the economics of it, the governance structures of these things, Mm -hmm. the the intent of the design, like all of those matter, when it comes to, is this going to be good for me? Right? Um, And so I'll I'll just say that fever the reason I loved working there, the reason that it drew me to work there is because that flows from every angle of the company, not just the design. It's a business question, it is a culture question, it is a tech question, like everything comes down to that orientation of health, positivity, like can we get this right for the future, right? So I do think that's necessary when you think about all the different types of potential technologies you could be interacting with, um, in the future. And we're getting better about that. We're getting better about making, asking that question and being, making that an assessment for, for your choice in, in what you do with a tech piece.
0: I was thinking as I read through your bio and obviously I've read some of your writing and, um, thinking about the landscape that you've traversed in your professional work I was thinking you you've um, played host in some capacity to this conversation over and over, right? in your work at Aspen Institute mm-hmm.
2: um,
0: and elsewhere and and so I wondered what it would be like for you. so if if blue fever was a a wave that is sort of um, marks, a new momentum for Mm. our connected life and you could kind of wish this wave into being what is (laughs) what for you does the rest of the wave look like what do you hope the dialogue continues to build momentum around
2: in order for the wave to keep moving the ecosystem needs to come with it and i'm talking about the funding the The people, the consumer, the partnerships, all the policy. Like again, I think it's disingenuous to try to think of this in individual parts that aren't actually part of the bigger picture, right? And so, if we, if what we're striving for is a healthier world where people thrive, whether that's in their digital sense or just writ large all those elements have to come into play with it and this wave includes all of those people right that's i don't think it can just be tech driven Mm. right it's because that's the solution out there does not mean that wave just runs with the tech solution Everyone else has to come along with it. Right. Um, and I and I think that that's asking a lot like that's a tsunami right. as opposed to just a regular wave. And um, I also think, you know, if we could get there, I could see where this conversation isn't a conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Like That to me is that would be great where this is something that the, the, the concern is not front of mind for people right I think right now we think about mental health and technology because all we can think about is how it's destroying society as people say yeah. right and and that's not um, productive and it doesn't put you in ease and so if we could not even have that conversation I think would be uh, we would be a marker of something that is progressing in the way that I would w- love to see it move.
0: Yeah. So Greta, tell me about the origin story for Blue Fever and uh, a little bit about how how it draws lines to some of what you've been seeing in the reality and data around mental health and young people.
1: I think that I want to actually start kind of midway, Christine, where you were, because you've been... Um, in this field, the specific field, longer than I have, but I think that I, I come at it. Uh, I'm not a recovering academic, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, uh, but I I come at it as somebody who has has always been a builder. And when I first started building, um, and even to this day, you know, when you when you decide to build a company and you decide that you're going to go down the uh, you know venture backed route people always want to know, well, what category are you in? What category? Mm. Are you social media? Are you mental health, right? You know, there used to be a category of an internet company. Now we're all internet companies, right? It's yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's become a tool that we are, that the, the internet's a tool that that everyone and every company is using. And it's just um, kind of part of the plumbing now, so to speak. Mm. Um, but I think that, that, you know, things have been, you know, things were much more siloed when I was beginning to think about, you know, when Blue Fever was a twinkle in my eye. Um, The things were much more siloed and and people didn't have the lexicon to think about what a holistic platform looked like. Um, And now uh, I think that we are at this turning point, like Christine said, where there's much more public awareness Because people have lived long enough to experience what it's like to have a digital life online, Mm. right? And that was accelerated in COVID, but was happening before, well before COVID. So, you know, we had a whole generation be guinea pigs and learn what it was like to grow up on the internet. Um, They were the first ones. And uh, we had a generation who, you know, Christine and I, Christine, would you consider yourself a millennial? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a middle, I'm a middle aged millennial. Um, but uh, you know that that we came of age with the internet, right? We were the first users of Facebook, but uh, we weren't growing up as like you know middle schoolers and high schoolers using social media. So there's been enough time, and enough people are digitally literate that we're that that everyone understands not only you know, kind of what what these platforms are, but understands from their own experience. And I think that that's really powerful and that feels different now when we're talking about policy, et cetera. We still have a lot of older people. I've been doing more policy work. we still have a lot of older people in government who maybe need some more education because they didn't grow up and use these platforms in the same way. But we have a lot of young people who are able to speak from experience and talk about how tech is a tool um, right? These platforms are, it's like the plumbing. But as Christine said, it's like, well, what is the intent of the platform? It's not just technology. Um, and so that kind of leads me to the beginning of, you know, Blue Fever, where things were much more siloed, and you had to pick a category of a company. And the category of company that I wanted to create, it didn't exist. And it confused the heck out of investors hmm. and everyone around me. Um, and, it, and it's and it been a battle, like an uphill battle to try to explain What we are building and every year it becomes more relevant and people are like I get it, right?" Um, you know, and so when, when, when I was first thinking about blue fever my background I come from. um, uh, Media and so my first uh, job out of college. It was actually as an actor, but my, my first uh, company that I started, and I guess you could say like was more of a regular job uh, or, or, or one that I like, you know, just audition and, and uh, audition for was, um, I started a production company and I made this documentary about the childhood obesity epidemic. And I lived all across the country with young people. Yeah. And what I noticed um, during that time uh, kind of separate from, from, you know, what I was doing with the film is that young people were self-medicating with media Mm -hmm. and I was like oh this is super interesting and now we all do it right it's like whether we binge Netflix or we're on TikTok or gaming or Roblox or whatever it might be right we're trying to cope in some way and I was like oh people are self-medicating with media this is fascinating and it was this spark that I, I later, in the moment, I was just like, I was kind of like mulling around my brain, but I've later been able to articulate it as like, okay, at the time, I saw that behavior with users, then I saw that these massive companies that were considered technology companies like Facebook, um, were becoming media companies, right? They launched Facebook Watch in 2016, right around the time that I was, you know, working on this, um uh, documentary. And, uh, and then, you know, Netflix was a media company, but they had tech and suddenly they were a tech company. And it was like, wait a minute, are you a media company? Or are you a tech company? And I was like, no, you're actually both. Right. And that for me was this like tipping point of like, oh, okay. So tech will make media scalable media will make tech relevant, right? It's like the point of the platform. Um, And then it will impact our well-being. So you kind of have this like triangle Hmm. here. And, and I was like, that's where I want to work. That's where I want to spend my life's work is like, is, is in that space. And then, um, you know, I've, I've always been obsessed with this, with this like age demographic of teenagers and emerging adults. Um, Uh, And, and so that was really like my, I I say that because that was like the beginning of me starting to think about a company like Blue Fever, Um, but I was in the media world. So initially like Blue Fever um, was, you know, my, my co-founder and I saw that, okay, there young people are watching media they're self-medicating they're using it to feel a certain way but what if we took a bunch of media from the internet and we tagged it by mood and emotion um what would happen if we did that and then we're like well what if we sold that content or licensed that content rather to the hollywood studios like who didn't understand digital um and we actually helped these content creators and filmmakers um make money Mm. and so we started off by doing that and saw that hollywood was super super slow and then we were like, okay, well, what if we just launch our own platform? And it was back at the time where everyone um uh thought they could launch their own subscription video on demand platform. Uh-huh. I mean, you could launch it, but could you sustain it? Was the was the question. And um, you know, we are like, well, what if we built this like Netflix for millennial women that, that the content was curated by mood and emotion? So when you watched it, it like helped you through these life moments. Uh-huh. Um and so we just put up this really um uh, shitty Squarespace site where we embedded YouTube videos, like really janky. Um, and we were like, we're building <laughs> Netflix for millennial women. And we, you know, got um, a couple early stage investors on board, and we got into TechStars, um, Los Angeles. was we were part of their first class. And then when we were when we were there, we started experimenting with different marketing channels, and text message was one of the marketing channels, and. Um, and we sent out like text messages and emails that were like hey like are you feeling stressed like check out this video by so and so or are you having relationship problems whatever and and what we didn't expect is that people started texting us back and we were like what? Mm. And they were like, oh my God, how'd you know? How did you know I felt that way? How'd you know I was going through this? Mm. Like this is incredible. And um, and the reason that we and we didn't know, right? Specifically, but 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 you know, our our uh, emotions are specific but not unique. Mm. So the reason, you know, you might be feeling stress, Mark, is different from me. Um, but we both experience stress sometimes. Um so so we were like, okay, well, what if we just write back? And we started writing back. Yeah. And then we grew to 10,000 users and 20,000. And and suddenly it was like, wait a minute, we can't manually text message people. We need to build some kind of uh, a chat bot. Um, and oh by the way our audience is not millennial women anymore it's gen Z mm. um and millennial women want nothing to do with the sex message platform um and yeah now you have a whole different demographic and this weird product that is growing but you don't really actually like no investor can super understand mm. what it is and one of my investors i i remember I was pitching this uh small angel i think he put in like $10,000, like tiny, tiny angel. And he um, was talking to him and the biggest breakthrough when I was talking to him, he's like, you know, I find that he like really good consumer products must feel like a toy when you're first using them. And yeah. this kind of feels like this like fun toy. And he was like, you know, like, can you talk to me a bit more about like, you've developed this like persona of this persona behind the um, that's like chatting back. And he was like, where's that from? And I I just kind of blurted out and was like, oh, like, I think it's kind of like a big sibling, because growing up, like I always wanted a a big sister, like this magical big sister who could guide me Uh. and mentor me and understand me and would like, totally get who I was, and feel connected to right. And instead, I had a complicated relationship with my mom, and then an older brother who had special needs, and couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't be that. And so I was really like, left to my own devices, as many young people are to try to figure it out on my own and my mental health stuff and, and and just life stuff. And so I was like, I think this is just this like big sibling guide. Right. And I said that and I was like, oh, my God, like, that's what we've created. But like, what does that mean? Like, what does that turn into? Yeah. Um, and I can talk more about that. But like, that was really the beginning of how um, Blue Fever got started was just, you know, seeing that a couple people felt super heard and seen. Um, And we went, okay, let's respond to them. And let's like manually text message with like 30,000 people until we figure out how tech can be, you know, create more infrastructure for us to, you know, really build this into a product and a company. Mm -hmm.
0: Tell me, jumping, jumping ahead, tell me where Blue Fever, the title comes from.
1: Yeah, yeah. I get that question a lot because we're not like the typical like dot L Y or you know what I mean for like tech companies. Um, Blue, and we fever-ly. About that. Blue feverly. <laughs> Blue feverly, Um Fever has not worked out fantastically since COVID or during COVID. Mm. We are like, oh, that's not good with um searches and stuff, but, and then the color blue with depression, um, the people are like, oh, you're not for depression. It's like, well, not exactly. So, so the, the, um, the reason we named, uh, the company blue fever is that, you know, we wanted something that had meaning because we knew that we were making a, a a product, Christine, as you say, like for the human condition, Mm. right? To help you navigate the human condition. So the color blue, I don't know if you both, Christine, you've heard this, but, um, the color blue is actually the most common color in nature but it's the most difficult for the human eye to see historically. I don't know if you know that, Mark.
0: What's crazy about Uh that fact is that I do know that only because about three days ago, my 14-year-old said, do you know blue is the most common color in nature? And I was like, I know, but that's cool.
1: Whoa. Wow. That's the only
0: reason I know that. I didn't know the part about it being hard to see, though.
1: Yeah, so we have um, a limited number of like cones in our eyes that see color. And so blue is really challenging for us to see. I don't know if you remember the internet fiasco. It seems like yesterday to me, but apparently this was like 15 years ago now or something with, is the dress blue or black? Is it white mm, and blue? Oh my God, Do you yes. you Right. Right. Like old school internet. And, um, and everyone was up in arms and that's because people have issues seeing the color blue. So, so blue, so blue, you know, wasn't, it was the last dye made in ancient Egypt. Um, it wasn't like, so for so long the color blue existed, but people couldn't see the color Mm. blue. And we thought that, you know, with our initial audience focus on females, um, and on young women, it was, it was similar, like women and young women have been around, um, Forever, but really they, they haven't been seen and their needs haven't um really been acknowledged. So we wanted um young women to be seen like the color blue now and spread like a fever. So that's where the name came from. And
0: that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And
1: now, thank you. Yeah, and now it's it's um, you know, we we have an audience that's not just female. So I like to think of it, I mean, the color blue relates to so much of things that are you know, in plain sight, but not acknowledged. And I think mental health has been mm. one of those things, like our, our truest identities and our mental health, right. And being a, a female, right, is, a, you know, part of an intersectional identity. And it's just those things haven't been able, uh, you know, they, they haven't gotten as much acknowledgement or support as they needed. And so now we think that those things need to come to the surface, mm. like the color blue. So kind of can, can work and transform, no. um, but it's a it's a deeper deep cut there.
0: I love that. Um, so tell me before we get too yeah. too into um, the many different roads this group could could talk about. I wonder if if you two could tag team a little bit and tell me about the user experience, right? So, um, it, you know, I've I've heard you. Narrate the story a little bit. I'm sure it's it's evolved to some degree. Tell me about one or two users that would come into the platform. What are the circumstances? What's it feel like? Who's involved? Um, how does it work?
1: Let's start with, um, you know, we'll take an average user who's around uh, like 14, 15 years old. They're in high school. Um, typically, you know, they're uh, going through a period of some kind of uh, uh, transition. Um, so, so let's say this person, you know, already, or actually let's, let's start by saying this person hasn't heard of blue fever before. Um, and they are, um, you know, uh, on social media, right. And, and see something about blue fever, hear about it from a friend. And typically what triggers people to, um, download the app is that they see that like, this is a space, um, for you to come, and the kids use the word vent. Um, it's a very loaded word. The word vent and the word friends. I'm sure Christine and I could talk about a lot, like hours of like what the many meanings of that mm. is, um, of those two words are. But like they they want a space where they can come and essentially like unload their inner thoughts um, where it's safe and there's not going to be judgment, yeah. and so you have a young person who sees that and is like, "Yeah, like so much is going on with me. I'm, you know, um, trying out for the soccer team, and I'm at this new school, and like, you know, my uh, older brother is having a lot of issues, and my parents are ignoring me, and like, all you know, all this stuff going on that they don't know where else to put it on the internet um, because they understand they're very savvy, right? That you know, certain platforms are for certain things. Like Twitter is a shouting platform, Instagram's a bragging platform, TikTok, the jury's still out. There's a lot of like education mm. that happens there, but also a lot of you know bragging and just kind of like silly entertainment. But they they know that on those platforms you can't really come and put things that are more vulnerable. So they're like, okay, like let me check this out. And so they download the app. Um, and then they open it up, and the uh, we I'm sure we we're actually adjusting on some onboarding stuff now. But somebody comes in and um, you know kind of creates a login, and then they're prompted to fill out um, to actually look at pages of other users. So what we try to do is like when you come into like if you think about it in like a physical space, like when you walk into a room. And you look around and you see everybody else like, well, what are they doing? Like, what's the tone of this room? Like, how should I behave, right? Is it really professional? Is it rowdy? Mm. Like, what what is the tone? And so we, we have people look at other people's content that has been created in Blue Fever. And so we give them a sense of like, here's what people talk about here. Here's the kind of language they use. Here's the kind of things that you can talk about. Oh, and if you click on these pages, you'll see that like, you're not getting canceled, right? Right? Like if you share something, or you're not getting outed, um, you're actually getting supported, or you're finding people who can relate to you. And that really, I think sets the tone. Like I've always said, Blue Fever is not a a product uh, brand, we're an experience brand. Like a product is like, oh, here's a shoe. Everyone knows what a shoe is, but maybe the shoe is like, you know, crazy Nike, whatever, right? But like, Blue fever is an experience. Mm. Like I can't, you have to really experience it and come in and um based off of like your interests that you pick. I forgot to mention this, like interests, like different kind of parts of your sub-identity, we will start to show you content of other people. And then we'll prompt you to say, hey, like maybe you should fill out your profile. And we have this really, you know, uh this profile that is has multidimensional data, and Christine can talk more about the stack of data, but multidimensional data that allows you to bring all parts of yourself to Blue Fever. Mm. And that's what like, that's like some of the most amazing feedback that we've gotten is like, I can bring every single part here, I don't have to edit it, I don't have to, you know, um, I don't have to be concerned that it's not okay, to bring that part here. And so at the top of the profile we will have identity tags. And those are things that don't change as much. I mean, sometimes, like sexual orientation right, might change pronouns. But it's things like I'm the middle child, or I'm an Aries, Uh. or I'm, you know, um, a high school graduate, what whatnot. And then we have moods, again, Christine, I'll let you go into that more. And then we have pages that you create and communities that you follow on Blue Fever called journals and content that you bookmark. And so it's like, really this, um, like, longitudinal kind of look at like who you are right as you spend more time on the platform and you collect kind of more pieces Mm. um but and i think i'm getting too into that but with this new user they're looking at the content we then prompt them to fill out their profile and then we're like okay like do you feel brave enough to create your own page because we find that when somebody creates a page then you know they feel better because they've gotten something right like out of their head that typically would have just been in like their their notes app on their iphone That's what we hear it's like well i type it in my notes app and then i delete it right away Mm. because i didn't want my parents to see it or my sister to go look on my phone or whatever right like we talk about privacy like their idea of privacy is very different than like the tech world when tech's like oh it's encrypted data our users are just like man i don't want my older sister to see a page i wrote uh, right about like me exploring my sexuality it's just why you know like what they're thinking about the the different angles of safety and privacy are different and so you know we encourage them to create a page and once they create that page they feel better and then they get some kind of response from um from uh the community but also what happens is they have this um blue is a part of the experience and blue is um you know really this uh guide throughout the app. And I was just actually doing that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's really this like guide throughout the app that um, somebody recently described to me as like, you ride along on Blue Fever. <laughs> it just can like, Blue can ride along in all these different experiences and help you like, you know, kind of be like, oh, like, you know, so and so created this page, like, mm-hmm. do you want it to might, it might resonate with you, check it out, or like, so and so responded to you, like, why don't you, you know, like, Take a look at it. So blue is kind of contextualizing everything, and then more recently we launched um, a chat with blue. Um, and again, Christine and I can go into that, but we're seeing that people are coming into the chat with blue, and then we're like bringing them back to the community experience. So it's like this, you know, place for you to this users getting the benefit of like expressing themselves, seeing other people express themselves, which makes them feel less alone. Um, and and like supported. And so you have like other real people, and then you have this like AI guide who is like this best friend or big sibling who's looking out with you and kind of pointing you in the direction of different things that might be relevant um, to your journey. Mm. right? But keeping like you're the center focal point. And once you express, then you know you can access the community better and you can access like and blue can support you better. And so their first experience is probably looking at content, filling out their profile, creating a first page, and then sitting there going like, oh my gosh, nobody judged me. Like nobody, there wasn't retaliation. And like, what other parts do I then want
2: to explore? And kind of blue can point you in that direction.
0: Christine, can we talk about the dimensions of data?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that, you know, at my time there was really hard to pin down. Like it's really hard to pin down because I think, we're so conditioned to think about data as a quantity right like how much data do you have and what we've if you're deep in language models or you're deep in linguistics or you know you're trained in that and i'm trained as a cognitive scientist so i think about knowledge a lot you realize that it to flatten it into this idea of just quantity and scale Mm. of data means you lose a lot of context Mm. and what was both fascinating but arguably frustrating about some of the blue fever data is one you know it's the tenor and the intentional structure of it being private and safe means the type of data that you're getting is not actually typical data you're not you know, a lot of in like uh in in nlp speak it's not structured the way nlp would normally be right and so a lot of the content we were seeing is like stream of thought stream of thought just people just literally putting everything there is no there are no markers for punctuation things are you know there there are different um expressions that are not captured in modeled language right and so I call it multi-dimensional because there is a quality to the data that is authentic Mm. to that person's language, which hasn't been flattened by some modeling that we've done on top of that language to just say, oh, this is the distance between this word to this word, which is what we use Mm. in uh, language models, the probability of those relationships. And so when you think about, okay, What types of data are we seeing when you say we have more authentic data, (laughs) then you have to go into, well, how do you get more authentic data? Well, the app is designed for you to feel safe and you're not performing some level of, you know, uh, this is who I am uh to other people you're you're sharing it's supposed to be like a diary i was going
1: to say christine something i meant to say before and i'm just going to interject it really quickly here is that our whole product strategy has been build features that make it as frictionless as possible for a user to authentically express themselves and connect with others alongside features that make users trust Mm. that the platform will protect their experience Right. And so that is where you get, that is how you get that authentic data, right? Is like, right. is it easy to express? And are there features that make you think, okay, actually I can trust this platform to express and engage on. And then I'll, Christine, mm-hmm. hand it back to you. But I think that's just like, no, that's great. A very, that was great. A, a clearer way to kind of explain, yeah, like social media just wants you to like express yourself and there mm-hmm. hasn't been as much thought around, okay, well, how are we going to protect your experience? Um, right and 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 that piece has been critical uh to to getting the data that we are,
2: yeah, and building on kind of so it's like there's this like rawness this authenticness to the to the the text itself, and then, as Gretham pointed out, there are all these other data points, right there is mood that you could have the week people can check in indicate their mood for the day there is longitudinal because they come in frequently so you could see progression over you know a week two weeks months right of how people are expressing themselves there are there are identity tags so when i when i think about a composition of a user it's not again flattened to an identity tag It we can actually you can look at the like the holistic version of that person as they come into the app and because we built it to be authentic we know okay this we have we start at this level of this is this person's actual like life right Right. and then we can work around that so i do think you know when we often when we think about data it is all that that context is so stripped most of the time that we forget like when a particularly a young person comes to the app, shares their experience, they had a shitty day, you know, people are picking on them. You look at it and you think, okay, this is a snapshot of someone expressing themselves as vulnerably as they possibly can. They had a bad day, Mm. right? In most cases, when you think about that from like a language model, you're like, okay, can we predict whether that person's gonna have another bad day like right in Uh, in comparison to the rest of the information that they send but for us it was okay this is a signal for for us to understand the world the person is situated in at that moment and what else can the community do to be helpful or as Greta mentioned what can blue do to help them navigate right it's it's a very different there's the level of predictability that you try to strive for with that kind of data is different it's outcome driven it's not can we put something else in front of this person that might um that might get them to i don't know interact for a product or something like that right mm-hmm. so it was a, it's a it, again back to the intent of why it matters what kind of the data structures are and how we interpret that data.
0: I want to give an analogy of some kind for for people who might not totally uh, be processing what, what you're saying about the mm-hmm. authenticness in the data. So let's create an analog. Like if we're talking about, um, you know, learners in fifth grade, Um, Mm -hmm. and somebody, you know, uh, somebody who's doing research in fifth grade is like, um, I want to create authenticity in the data of individual learners and not flatten the data the way that you're describing. What, what would that look like? What would they do to bring in authenticity?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think one way to think about it is don't have a teacher in there. It's almost like that white coat, the white coat lab syndrome, Mm -hmm. right? Like you code switch, you change how you answer to something based on the context around you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, for this app, given the intention of what that space, the online space is, is you know for you to share what is on your mind at that time without judgment is very different than if you are a, a you know a fifth grader who has to share something to a teacher there's a pow- there's an implicit power dyma- dynamic there that you automatically have to reorient mm. how you express yourself based in that context of you know having yeah. someone else in the room with you right
1: I'd also add to that, Christine, and say, you know, um, Mark, I believe your question was, how do you bring authenticity to that data? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is relationship. And -hmm. Christine, you're getting to that right with like the relationship between a teacher and student is different. Maybe you see um, I think it's to look at uh, to look at an individual and. And build relationship with them, or at least expose different parts. In the in the in the analogy of the third grader, let's say that because because I'm, I'm thinking about Blue Fever, if you're going to understand, if you're going to get authentic data from that third grader, um, you know they might have a more high trust relationship with their best friend in the class mm-hmm. than they might with the teacher, and so you know interviewing them and their best friend right might be a better way to get more authentic data um, mm-hmm. but you might also see a different part of that fifth grader if you interview that kid with that teacher there mm-hmm. right but it, i think it depends on like the trust getting authenticity is it can be helped by getting the vulnerability and you don't get to vulnerability unless you have trust mm-hmm. that what i say will be um will i won't get you know um there won't be backlash for it right uh mm-hmm. or or that you'll take care of what i say and i think that's in any human relationship right like the level with which i trust um you know a, a person that i'm meeting on a sales call for the first time versus mm-hmm. like you know a friend from college it's just you're going to get different more authentic data but again it's like contextual it's like authentic for what right. <laughs> like authentic yeah. For knowing who that real person is and how that kid is actually doing in fifth grade or authentic to like how they're uh educate how they're like you know measuring up in class. Like I, I think that and maybe I'm overcomplicating it, Christine, but I think relationship and trust is like a big part of how you get yeah. to authenticity of data.
0: I feel like what I what I hear from what you're saying and as somebody who um works with Uh, education data specifically all the time Um, I feel like oftentimes what we do with data is we create sort of um, a doorway through which an object comes where we you know like we pull a question you know maybe it's a questionnaire we pull like a certain two dimensions of data here's here's where I Mm -hmm. am here's Mm -hmm. and then we pull something in the middle and something at the end and Ultimately, sort of flattened by the fact that it's flattened by the system that you're collecting it with, mm-hmm. it's flattened by the institutional structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but this for uh, I love this trend. I uh, this is a weird thing to think about a lot, but but like I think about teenage fashion right now a lot, which mm-hmm. because I have one in the house and um, like I find it fascinating we would have been mortified to go to school in to slippers slippers too. and pajamas <laughs> that's like a big thing yeah. here right um but kids are in slippers and pajamas and um you know so so what i hear you saying is we don't want to flatten it down to the dimensions of the institutions or the system and we want to accept the slippers and pajamas and and other factors, the, you know, uh, kid who, you know, is wearing a hood that day because, like, they couldn't get a warm shower or, mm-hmm. um, or is, like, ha- what they have in their headphones happens to be, like, super blue music because they're just feeling a certain way. Like, what you're striving for, and it's not to say that, like, the model is perfect, right? You figured this all out. Mm-hmm. But what you're striving for is something that's as well rounded in the data as the user. Does that sound close? Yeah.
2: That sounds. That sounds good. I, I. I also. I think a part of that is the full expression of a user. Mm. I think what often is you infer a lot about a user based on things right. that are uh, stereotypical about mm. a youth or whatever, right? And I. And I think where we say is you are in a safe place to be yourself. Mm. And what you tell us we believe is your full expression, Mm. which is very different from, I think, how we've the first run of technology. It's almost like, no, we're gonna give your data, but we're gonna interpret back to you what we think you are, Mm. right? And I think that's very different.
1: Right. Yeah. like, And then it's yeah. like if TikTok types me as a depressed teenager, mm. I actually was, was doing this presentation um, for uh, Senate members with David Jay, who used to be the um, chief mobilization officer at uh, Center for Humane Technology. And he brought this video and it was showing how a young person goes on the TikTok and how TikTok um, shows certain videos yeah. and then, you know, say that person's having a bad day shows shows these depression videos the person watches it and then suddenly you're in this loop mm-hmm. right where the content you're being shown like you said Christina, is just reflected back to you and then if you do if you are prone to depression or having depression issues it makes it yep. worse right so we try to yeah i i like what you said mark of of like can we make the data as well-rounded as the person? And then based on that, can we not just reflect back to you what's happening? Reflection is important, but can we also say, well, where do you want to go from here? Right. Where do you want to, who do you want to be? And that's about, and that's like what, you know, gets me really excited is like, can this be a platform for human transformation and identity development? Like that is far more interesting than put me in a, you know keep me with a couple you know tags and then i live in that yeah. world um you know i'm often jealous of other people's like tiktok my friends like oh i'm on i'm in this you know area of tiktok in this area and i'm like oh man like i never get yeah. served that stuff i've got like people doing tarot card readings like fun but like i gotta i want, I want more mm. um but we're all living and then that also isolates us because we're all we don't get exposure to different right. things and then we're all living in these echo chambers, right? Which, which you know, kind of ties to larger issues we're seeing about disinformation, and um, you know, especially as we think about like even the the conflict in the Middle East um, and how people, you know, were expressing themselves on social media. But you just saw like algorithms pull people this way and that mm. way. Um, and I'm, I know I've just gone kind of way out no, there, but, no, no, no. but it's like, how do you? How do you make, you know, how do you, how do you think about the purpose of what, right, that algorithm is supposed to do? Is it just supposed to type you and reflect back to you and kind of mimic or is it supposed to help you um, kind of decide where you want to go? Well,
0: let's talk about blue for a second Mm. because I think that, so tell me how that round data i'll call it just to to oppose <laughs> the idea of flat data um sure. tell me how that multi-dimensional data feeds this um ride-along character of blue what does that mm-hmm. look like technically speaking
2: there are a couple of ways to break this apart one is that it uh, it informs the way in which kind of like the outputs obviously that blue can give out right like we know um you know you feed you feed the 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 model the information coming in from someone having this one-on-one that's pretty straightforward you just that's the ins and out of of uh the conversation i think where it becomes fascinating is that in understanding writ large the community of blue fever and how to maintain that trust and to maintain the authenticity blue has to change in the the design and the persona as a chatbot, is actually where it's mm. like where that data is really important like all, that synthesis and our understanding of how to maintain that has to be translated into how Blue then is interacting with users. And I think one thing, one, one learning we had very early was you know, mm. the way chatbots and particularly like ChatGPT or anything um, on kind of like the infrastructure side is created is it, it is a search and answer, right? Like you go into ChatGPT because you want an answer to something so it will give you something back if you want it to have a persona like a big sibling or Mm. a trusted friend, that training, the dialogue, the rhetoric like that is actually very that it goes against the grain of search and answer. Right. So to train it and to model it and to make it feel like you're having a Mm. conversation that will again reinforce the trust and reinforce the authenticity. You kinda of have to break things, is what I used to tell Greta. I was like, we need to break how how uh, chat GPT works in order for this to actually be useful. Also because you you know, young people can sniff it out really they're like, This is a this is a crappy bot. Like I don't wanna have that conversation. Um, and mm-hmm. so we really, I think all yeah. it's not just data for the data itself. It's all that synthesis we learn from it. It's understanding that we want to maintain trust and authenticity. So how does that then change the technical like infrastructure of blue? Right. So it wasn't just like, can you ingest this data spit it out in a way that's helpful? It's, uh, not what is said as Greta usually says it's how it's said. Which is very different from um what we and what I thought intention uh, at, at mm-hmm. the very beginning how to build the 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 box
0: tell me if this is this is too uh bridge too far, I guess is the right expression. I feel like in the study I've done, which is still pretty shallow of uh, blue fever, it feels like blue as a character is it, if it were possible and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but like, but if it were possible to start a practice where we train models the way that we train people to be Mm -hmm. considerate of the human condition. So social workers, for example, that's what it feels in part like you're doing with the model in Blue Fever. Does that feel right?
2: I think that would, I think there is a little bit of that I, I say it with hesitancy because i think we're all also very aware of yes. an ethical line that we could be crossing right and so i feel like we want to get it to where you have you feel the comfort and the ability to be vulnerable and to maintain the trust you never want the user to think that it's a real other human right i i i, sure. I, I think that is like that is a very fine line to come up against. Sure. Are you trying to make it, you know, like a social worker? Actually, the answer is no. Right. But there right. are maybe characteristics in the same way that, that, um, that maybe
0: yeah. a sitter, like a babysitter, um, yeah. could model the way a sibling could, could sort of like nurture mm-hmm. the way that a sibling for a could. Parent.
1: Yeah. Or a parent, right? Sure. Like a babysitter is yeah. not a replacement for a parent, but they're right. the temporary yeah. parent right. for the night. For yeah. The day, right? Yeah. Um, Mark, I was yeah. just going to add to that when you were like, you know, do you want it's like in the future, it's like, do you want blue fever to, or do you want blue to like replace humans? Like, I'd think the answer is like, that's impossible. Like, mm. blue can never replace a human. Um, but I think blue can be a stopgap, right? For, for support and especially low acuity support when we're having the conversation around mental health. Um, I, I, we are not building a therapy bot or a social worker, right? I know there are other companies out there that are doing that and they're getting certified. Um, but we don't, you know, we're not on a mission to replace humans with AI. We're, we're on a mission to say, like, we think that, um, we know that young people want technology to be more reciprocal. Mm-hmm. They want a more, they want a deeper relationship. With technology, and they expect it, quite frankly. And so, how do we meet them where they are and create that reciprocal relationship, Uh, while also acknowledging that? I mean, it's there is there's a reason why we have a community part of Blue Fever because if people just wanted to interact with an AI, we would have kept our, our SMS platform. But we saw very clearly that people were like, "Hey, can my friend come in this SMS chat with Blue?" Like, "Hey, can my sister?" Like, people they want human connection. There's something really important. And we've been in user interviews recently asking like, well, like what would you talk to blue about versus like, Hmm. what would you want a human's feedback on? And a lot of, um, a lot of what you know, blue offers is blue offers, you know, available 24 (laughs) seven, right? Like blue never sleeps. So if you really need somebody to just like vent to Mm -hmm. talk to, get advice from Blue's around, Blue also will not judge. So if you're trying to kind of test something out, right, or you're, you know, you want it to say it maybe not to a real human first, Blue can be that Mm -hmm. quote unquote person, even though they know Blue's an AI. Um, And also Blue sometimes knows more than your friends do. So if you're thinking through something, right, um, you know, Blue is that kind of big sibling that has more information, um, more collective wisdom, if you will um and and that's really helpful but it blue is not you know you, our users say like no there's certain things i want to ask the community because blue doesn't have the experience of being a, a human and so sometimes i really i need to know what other humans are going through and mm-hmm. i need to know their their thoughts but if it's a little bit more practical um or they or they're really afraid of judgment blue's like a great in between
0: yeah and i'll just clarify that My – what I was implying was not that you're training um, a model to be – to replace a human. It was more so – I admire when – and there are very few that I've had exposure to companies that are thinking about training the model in a way that is as responsible as we do the humans who are in those roles. And so, Got it. so what I'm the reason I make the analogy is because I think a lot of people really fear things like ChatGPT as being like this, you know, this force that's going to take over and replace humans, et cetera. Um, yeah. But as an alternative, I think if people are thinking about services, places that will be as responsible as the team of Blue Fever about training models that actually um, help fill gaps, very needed um, gaps. There are not enough social workers. There are not enough intake, uh, you know, therapists, folks. There-
1: Unfillable gaps. Right. Unfillable and,
0: gaps. And so if they are things that um, where a ride along can serve a meaningful purpose, then we have the responsibility to train them in that way, mm-hmm. which means also that we need to be asking the really smart questions that Christine raised about like, okay, what's the right data model? And we're not going to get it right the first mm-hmm. time. Same way we don't get the training of, you know, s- school social workers the, right the first time. Like, we're still working on that. Um, and it changes with times and the generation and what we're going through during COVID. That was like a whole new um
1: Yeah, people were not ready. Yeah, no, they, their training hadn't covered a global right. pandemic.
0: Right, so it's not that it's not that we're, we its it's not that it's the same it's more so to help us um, leverage this model in blue fever that I think is a model in lots of ways um, including the an alternate to a lot of people's reality that like um, that AI you know these large language models are just gonna be these like big kind of like clunky uh replacements for search that are like kind of, you know, middling accuracy. And um, when in fact, this is like the tip of the iceberg and we can start to really nurture some of these models in ways that feel very needed and, and human, you know, just, just gaps in um, how we're evolving as humans that we haven't been able to meet with other humans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah, sense?
1: because there's, yeah, a- absolutely. And I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head there is that's what we're trying to do is like, help fill these unfillable gaps. Um, especially, you know, when there's not enough, um, there's not enough support more downstream for them, how do we become that upstream tool and that navigation tool yeah. um, to, to help them get get to the resource that they need. And, and I think about, you know, resource could be content. You know, at first it was content outside of blue fever that we use. Yep. Then it was content inside of blue fever that yep. we use. Then it's, you know, different, you know, products and services, right. That people are like, I really need to, I want to go to therapy. How do, where do I even start? Right. It's like, Hey, here's some really amazing, mm-hmm. you know, clinical therapy platforms for people 13 to 24, like check it out. Yep. Um so, yeah, so it's like, I, I think it's just like a, a better way of, you know, how I always think about search. Uh, it's interesting you bring it up. It, when I first pitched Blue Fever, I would talk to my investors about, you know, if, you know, uh, search gave us topical relevance, mm. which is like that data dump Christine was talking about, and social gave us social relevance. Really what technology has to figure out next, which is really complicated and hard, is emotional relevance. Yeah. And that is not, you know, that's not how a lot of these chatbots and LLMs are being set up.
0: Right. You mentioned that the tech of Blue Fever blocks toxicity. Just mm-hmm. tell me a bit about that, and then I want to talk about um, just the very quickly before we go talk about um, Guardians Families uh, privacy. So, so tell me, tell me about that. How does it block toxicity? currently?
1: Yes. Yes. So, um, I think we should be very careful. I should be more careful with my my words of, um, block. I don't think any platform can ever say they fully, fully, fully block toxicity. Mm -hmm. There is always some toxicity that can, can creep in. Um, and also what is, considered, you know, maybe triggering to one person isn't necessarily sure. triggering to another. And I put triggering toxicity, I think of as like this umbrella of things, right? right? From really egregious to something that, that that is maybe just kind of more personally triggering to me, but maybe not to other people. And the way that we approach that um, is uh, twofold. We think about, you know, when we were designing the app, well, let's go back to text message. We didn't really have to think about toxicity too, too much with text message because we controlled blue and then it was a one-on-one combo with blue and a young person. So if the young person, you know, went off and started saying toxic things, nobody else was hurt or harmed by it, Mm. right? Um, you know, we had to think about if a user told us something, right, that was concerning, that maybe they were in danger, but we never had to worry about other other people, right? And then when we when we built the app, we said, okay, we really need to think about intentional design. And we call our technology anti-toxic tech because it starts with the design of saying, all right we we're a place that's focused on self-expression, not performance Mm. because performance can get really toxic quickly. So for example, in our, the design of our content creator, we don't have access to camera roll. So we only have pre-vetted media. So gifts and stickers and colors. Um, And, you know, we'll be adding audio and video, but it's all like under a rating system Mm. um, so that you're not like, you're not getting random photos that are uploaded that could potentially be toxic. Another piece of our, des- another example of our intentional anti-toxic design is we don't have direct messaging on the app yeah. because that's where a lot of bad actors pop up and a lot of, even things between two, you know, teens, like can get really negative and toxic. Sure. So, so examples of like design, like safe design, intentional design, and then we have backend moderation and the backend moderation is, um, done, you know, the, the user experience is that blue is popping up and, and talking to a user, but will you know our back-end technology will identify you know phrases words um that we have right on our our master list that is ever growing and 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 um and we have built this year built an ai model to to predict right like what are the next things that are going to come up um but it will block certain content so if you say like i want to kill myself mm. like blue will not let that page be posted publicly right. and we'll say like here are crisis resources like here's our community guidelines and like, I'll let you post it privately, but I'm not going to let you post it right. publicly. And then we have a whole crisis flow that's triggered that essentially like guides somebody to, you know, the best resources for them. So um, that that's an example of our back end moderation. We also have in Blue's chat, if somebody um, asks for like clinical mental health advice, like Blue will route them to the appropriate channel as opposed to trying to like take on, um take on, you know, being that therapist, like we talked about, right. um, because that in itself could be toxic. So it's a combination of backend moderation, allowing users, uh, in the user experience, it's just well, I'll start user experience, pretty safe, hard to do a lot of harm, um, then you have the users being able to, you know, block pages, trigger pages, like decide for themselves what their experience should be. Like one user recently was like, relationships are triggering to me. So I want to like leave this relationship community mm. and tag, you know, romantic relationships as triggering right now because I'm going through a breakup. Um, and then you have the back end moderation and the different crisis flows, etc. So it's like very multi-layered giving blue agency the users some agency um and then of course we have like overall kind of like human moderators that will review things that get escalated
0: yeah so the last thing i want to ask um before we sign off for this conversation because i really do hope to follow progress and and come back to this i feel like there are quite a few pathways we we uh i want (laughs) to keep talking to you um down in the future and i hope you'll come back and do that um i just wanted to ask yeah. as, a, as a parent like uh first of all who who is blue fever for so can i um at what age can i send my kid or my kids friends to blue fever and then is the expectation that if i let my kid know that it's a resource um parents never have a relationship to what they're doing there? Or is there are there channels that you're building to help their help, you know, an individual bring in uh family, or is it always really about um the individual and and a private space?
1: These are great, great questions. Some of them we are actively still thinking through very much Mm -hmm. though. Right now, um, you know, you have to be 13 years old to join Blue Fever. Um, And uh, we have focused on building trust with our end user right now, which is a young person. Um, So we have uh, focused on that experience. However, we've been making, you know, developing relationships with other organizations uh, uh, where, parents who are thinking about, you know, media consumption, you know, education, et cetera, are. And we've been talking with them um, and trying to understand like, what role should a parent play in Blue Fever if this is a sacred trusted space? Like, you know, none of our we haven't gotten any user mm. requests to have parents be a part of this space. We have gotten a lot of customer service emails from parents saying, thank you so much for being there for my kid, you know, at one in the morning when she's dealing with something, she'll go on Blue Fever and talk about it. We've had teachers say, thank you. Like I refer my students to Blue Fever because instead of texting me at 11 at night, right, they'll go on the app and they'll like feel like they can get support. So mm. we're getting feedback and gratitude, but from from adults, but we haven't quite figured out yet. And something I'd love to talk to you more about is like, well, how do we, how do we let you know, how do we like bring adults into this? Because it is so important that, um, and some of our users are over 18, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, it's, it would just be for the 13 to 17 year olds right. primarily, unless somebody wanted to loop in a parent. It's like, well, like how much information and what kind of information should we be sharing with a parent? Is it only if something is wrong, um, really wrong? Um, and then what are the lines there? Is it, um You know, do we like give kind of like a heat map of all of our users on Blue Fever based on age and give that to parents to be like, yeah, this is what's really going on. So go, here's a, here's a guide of how to go have a conversation with your kid. You know, are we doing kind of more facilitation? Like that's, that's something we haven't figured out yet, Mark. And we're, we're trying to really think through that. Um, But our users keep on telling us like, yeah, there's certain things I want my parents to know certain things I don't want them to know, certain things I want to have a conversation mm. about. So we just try to start with the user and give them resources to mm. um, to, to reach out to their parents. But um, I'm curious what you would want as a parent.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, it's something that I'm going to spend lots of time thinking about, but um, I feel like as... A ride-along, I feel like Blue has an interesting relationship to the parent. Um, mm. The same way when I get my kids' friends in the car, they'll whisper things that aren't a breach of my kids' privacy, but just things that in our relationship, you know, would be hard to bring up, you know, over a breakfast cereal or You know what I mean? In the course of
1: kind of this, like adult driving the car, like kind of hearing it accidentally.
0: Yes, got it. So um, you know that would have to be really carefully curated, and and, but I think that um, you know knowing like blue being able to say, hey, you know, your dad would be interested to know that you're in a relationship. You know, can I shoot him? Mm. You know, shoot him a notification, Um, Mm. and you can tell him whether you want to talk about it or not like that would be awesome and i would love yeah. like if he said no i'd be like great now i know i know he's not ready to talk about it um so this is a um, this is a design activity that i would pay to come be involved with because it's so fun <laughs> to me this is this is a little a little bit about uh,
2: what hold you to
1: that.
0: what drives me um <laughs> this is so fun to think about because I really do. uh, Let me end here by saying, I'm so glad you're doing this work. And I am so glad that in the face of um, investors who don't know what category to put you into (laughs) a world that is like, wait, I thought you were in, you know, working in Hollywood and now you're doing this thing. I am so glad that, um, there is a world of social creatives that are working on these problems and feel so adamantly about moving the ball forward that we're willing to to move through those sort of uh, const- constructed um, lines. And so I thank you for the work. I'm a huge fan of the problems. Uh, the the way you're approaching some of these problems and I hope we can talk again and maybe work through some of these design questions
1: yeah we'll get some
0: other parents included and and uh, talk through like what what would that even look like greta that, that th- would thank be, you that would be so much
1: super interesting and I have one more comment is yeah, when please. you say like I'm excited that there's these like social creatives I am um, you know, work on Blue Fever, but I've been working on more policy. And I've been thinking a lot, um, I've been thinking a lot, a lot about, you know, how do we build better and healthier technology? And Christine made a comment earlier. It's like, we got to bring everybody along. I think one of the really big and exciting opportunities for us is to start Mm -hmm. bringing more humanitarians in the room Mm. and technologists in the room and having them like build together. Like what would happen if you got like a psychologist and an actor, right. And, um, you know, like a developer and you worked on creating something. Um, like, I think that there's a, like, there's a ton of magic there. Um, and, and I, I think that we've kind of leaned too heavily on like, let's just let the people who can code the tech, Mm. just make all decisions about the tech. Um, and, and it, gotten us into some problem areas and we're seeing recently with the, I don't know when this will be published, but with the, the recent drama of open AI and now the backlash of the board and you're yes. not having enough women and women not wanting to join the board. And it's like that there is um, such a need for different kinds of minds to come together if we're going to build technology. Um, so I'm excited to, to potentially like work with you other parents like we need parents involved in helping us build youth solutions we need youth involved helping build youth solutions i mean but it's just it's going to take all of us and all different kinds of brains and valuing those um, equally right and not just saying like you can spin up an app well you must be a genius it's like well you know yeah no i mean nowadays anybody you know can really do it even with mm-hmm. no code solutions but like there's a lot of value in these other like disciplines um that that, that's something i think think about a lot and and hopefully people who are listening are not all just tech people but if you're someone who's a consider yourself an artist a humanitarian like reach out and let's figure out how we can plug you in
0: amen greta and christine thank you so much for joining and uh i hope we get to talk again soon
1: okay Bye. bye absolutely thanks mark
0: For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.